Welcome to the Take Us to the Game podcast, a light-hearted and irreverent look at the world of sport. My name's Richard Baker, and I'm joined this week by Tom Gibbs. Good evening. And Ollie Scully. Hello. How are you doing, fellas? All right. Interesting week to be a Tottenham fan, I suppose. It's the end of an era, I feel. I'll probably come on to reasons why in a little bit. On cheerier notes, how's your sporting week been, Tom? It's been good. I have enjoyed... I've got into Australian rules football at the moment. That's a Sunday morning ritual for me. It's a bit of Aussie rules. You know, first thing in the morning on a Sunday on... Uh, on oh, I can say it. BT Sport. I'm not on the BBC. I can say that. <laughs> other, uh, other channels are available. Yeah. Other channels are available. But, you know, I've been really getting into it. So that's that's a treat now for me. I quite like you Aussie might- rules football. I, I lived in Australia for a year in about a decade ago and went to watch the Brisbane Lions play a few times. I was taken by some Australian mates, and they said, you can pick whatever team you want to support as long as you don't support Collingwood, which was basically a red rag to the ball. Then I had to support Collingwood after that. <laughs> yeah, well, magpies like shiny things is all I'll say. That. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just amazed you managed to find a, a slot in your day to find more sports watch tom <laughs> well it's, it's the only things that keep it's anything that keeps me off sports betting is actually just watching sport <laughs> need to do something between baseball finishing at 6 a.m and county cricket starting at 11 a.m <laughs> awkward five hour window on a sunday morning and to be honest it was a really really good game a couple of games on sunday morning so i loved it and if you even if you don't like the sport you can just enjoy the hairstyles and the very short shorts <laughs> We'll have to do a special at some point, get Australian friends on to talk about Aussie rules. Um, I should mention in terms of my sporting week, I didn't really talk about it last week. I should have mentioned that we celebrated City winning the league, which is always great. Um, I, saw, I saw dozens of fans turned up at the ground. <laughs> Obviously, being up here in Glasgow, it was a slightly different affair with Rangers this week. Uh, but yeah, well done on well done on getting 20-odd players uh, people out to celebrate you. I, I was going to... The comment that I think more people have listened to this podcast than there were. <laughs> I think that's true. Which is very celebratory for us, but I would say that City fans just follow uh, instructions not to assemble like others do. Uh, yeah, but that rule only came in <laughs> in, <laughs> in 2020. How do you explain the rest of the time? We did gather on um, on the Saturday as you're now allowed to sort of mix in outdoor spaces. So I mix with my immediate family, my, my dad and my sister, who are all Manchester City fans. It was actually my sister's birthday. Uh, after the game, we were just going to have a little toast to to my sister. So my mum got a uh, bottle of champagne out of the fridge. And Chelsea scored their winning goal, and my dad said, put that back. <laughs> <laughs> Celebration's over, birthday or not. But they did then... Um, necessarily how you want to, to win any tournament united lost on the tuesday night to leicester and then that meant they won won it but still very pleased to uh picked up you know fifth fifth title in a de- decade and we may have a uh, a new striker next season ollie it's uh, becoming increasingly possible that mr kane will be heading up to manchester or possibly even worse heading across london i think that would be worse but uh, i know we're going to talk a bit about um the cup final chelsea leicester but from my point of view, it was probably um, Leicester-Chelsea was a, a bigger game of the week. Um, Chelsea winning the league game meant that uh, that was the point that meant Spurs were not going to finish uh, in the top four. And I think has probably probably sort of brought to a head 
thoughts going around uh, Harry Kane's mind about is he going to stay at Tottenham? I think it's the news this week makes it sound as if he wants away. Whether he gets away, given the uh, contractual status and uh, the uh, the amount that uh, that Daniel Levy will want to uh, want to get. Uh, in exchange for his services is another matter, but it, it sounds like he now wants to wants to move. So obviously, Man City, Man United, Chelsea are the English names that are being banded around. You know, we've seen that if a player wants to leave, then they they tend to to manipulate the situation so that they eventually get a deal uh, and eventually do leave. But it's gonna it's gonna be the, it could end up being the talking point of the of the summer. So hopefully, it happens quickly. It's taken as a given, right, that he's going to play well. For other clubs, he's going to be a good value sign, or he's going to be a successful sign. Not, not certainly not necessarily a good value sign. That's a very different matter, but certainly a successful signing. So there's a market for him. That's that's assumed, right? But are oh, do you think he's the sort of player who's going to agitate to the degree where he has to be, or do you think you know there is a way that Tottenham could retain his services under duress or Well, I'd I'd be very surprised if he. If he sort of had a had a real sulk and threw his toes out of the prom and, prom and stopped playing, nothing about him strikes me as you know as that that kind of player that's going to do that. Presumably, there's going to be there's an agent working behind the scenes as well, right? And I think it's those relationships that I think you know cause problems inside the inside the club. You know, not necessarily what the player's doing on the pitch or the training ground, but but the sort of the, the general mood of the camp, I think, is what tends to suffer when a player wants away. And I think that comes from what the agent's saying. There's an interesting comparison between what goes on in in European football and the comings and goings in the NFL there's a big story at the minute in the NFL over the Green Bay Packers quarterback Aaron Rodgers his future is uncertain at the minute he's been this one of the best players in the league for over a decade now and he'd had a little bit of a blip but he came back strongly last season and won the MVP award and that happened to coincide with the fact that just over a year ago prior to the previous season the Packers had gone out and seemingly drafted his replacement a young player called Jordan Love and essentially it seems that Rogers has made a lot of noises after the end of last season that he feels so disrespected by the management in that they thought they should think about bringing a, a successor to him that he's thinking about leaving the team but actually it's a lot harder in the NFL when you're under contract to to agitate for a move than it is in England it is and at the same time at some point there is a breaking streak. I mean, you've written about it very nicely on the Take Us to the Game website. Check it out a couple of times. So uh, what more can I add? <laughs> <laughs> well, in that case, it was it was a comparison between, you know, Rogers agitating for a move and, and comparing that with the situation that Aguero finds himself in, in that he's being moved on by City, whether he wanted to or not. It's always very difficult, you know, when, when players are so I- iconically associated with one club um, and that time comes to an end, yet they still have a lot to offer at the highest level. Now, Guerra is in a different place in his career than, than Harry Kane is, but I have some sympathy for Harry Kane in that taking the decision to take control of his career at the point where he still can decide more or less where he goes, because I think most of the big clubs in Europe would, would welcome Harry Kane into their squads. Give it another three, four years, and, and perhaps he doesn't have that range of options, because that's that's the ultimate truism in sport that your, your, your time does come to an end and there's a time when whether you want to carry on or not it's the game decides that it's time for you to finish and, and you look at someone like alan shearer surely that's the kind of example he's looking at now he had the big offer and never and never took them and yeah he had a great career but would would you have played it differently if you were alan shearer in say 
1994, 1997, somewhere around there. Yeah, I think um, I think you know Kane's got got one big move, hasn't he? You know, this is his this is his move. Um, you know, and then he might go to other clubs. You know, in the, the tail end of his career. But you know, while he's still kind of at the height of his powers, you know, this feels like if he's going to make a move, it's it's kind of now. He's not actually getting any younger. He's but it's a, you know, getting a little bit injury prone. <laughs> you know, tends to tends to miss a few games each each season now. Um, but I still, as you say, every big club in Europe would know they would get goals if they sign him. You know, and that's a hard thing to do in any transfer market is know that you're going to guarantee goals when you spend big money. Mm. You know, there's a lot of people try and sign strikers and you know don't get the kind of you know payback. You know, you're taking a bit of a risk sometimes, but I don't think there's any risk associated with signing Kane. And Kane offers more as well. It's not just the goals; it's also yeah. the approach play and the link up yeah. play. You know, he's just an all-round top. He's, player a very, player. he's a very good footballer. You know, and a model professional. Yeah, <laughs> and just to sort of bring it together, wants to finish his career in the NFL. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> He's talked publicly about that before. So we're agreed. He won't be finishing his career at Tottenham. <laughs> yeah. Possibly, but possibly Tottenham Stadium. Yeah, he might, he might be there on the other pitch. <laughs> Kicking for the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> but this Saturday was, well, at least when I was growing up, it was one of the big dates in the footballing calendar. I'd like to think it still is. I hadn't sat down and watched a cup final from start to finish, including all the TV build-up, for, for a few years now. I went in the last time City were in the final when they played Watford a few years back. But in terms of finals I haven't been involved with, I, I think I've seen bits of the games, but I can't remember the last time I was so excited to just sit down on Saturday afternoon, watch the hours build up to it, then watch the game. And I absolutely wasn't disappointed. It was a great final. Did you guys see it? I did, yeah. And, and I would absolutely agree with you. It was... a it was a great experience. I'm, I'm, I feel emotionally wedded to the FA Cup somehow, and that's probably as a as a long term supporter of a non league club, Yeovil, um, who have a big reputation in the FA Cup. You know, I think we still hold the record for most league teams knocked out as a non league team. And I still think my favourite day of the entire sporting calendar is FA Cup third round weekend. And I wish it was a day. I hate the way they play around with it, but that's a different conversation. But yeah, going back to your original point, yes, watch the FA Cup point. Yes, I loved it, and absolutely, I'm all in. No, well, I did, unfortunately, I didn't get to uh, I didn't get to clear out the calendar like um, like you guys. So I've only watched the highlights, but uh, the highlights were pretty impressive. It did look like a good game. I think uh, there've been a couple of um, couple of less less roller coaster finals. I think this sounded like a good one. Well, let us talk you through the day then, because you saw the highlights of the game, but you know, there might be some bits you missed. And the first mo- key moment for me, which I, not only I reacted to, but the commentary box reacted strongly to as well, was the fact that Thomas Tuchel turned up in a tracksuit. <laughs> oh, it, it, really? it was jarring. That's, that's unforgivable. Was he allowed in? Do they not have a door policy? I mean, you, you've lived in, in Germany for a few years, Gibbs. Do, do people not? Not wear suits to big events over there? No, I mean, the suit, I would suggest, is probably not a cultural thing in Germany. Um, but they do have smart phones. They have the capacity to look smart. He was not. I do think, no, I think it's a fair point. They are probably less formal and probably don't have that kind of thing. But, I, you know, he's a, he's a scholar of the game. You know, play the game. That makes sense. He does. He does always strike me as a little bit like somebody who's 
made their first visit to the stadium and gone to a club shop before the game and just bought everything they can find in the club shop. <laughs> Holding an alarm clock. Because <laughs> he's there in his... And a, du- his and Chelsea- a duvet cover. <laughs> he's got his, exactly. He's there in his Chelsea track. Klopp's the same, actually. It's sort of a German thing, isn't it? Because Tuchel, he's got his tracksuit and he's got a big Chelsea overcoat and his Chelsea baseball cap. Well, that he- is fair. And, and in truth, having been to all, pretty much all of the Bundesliga club shops, they do have a tremendous range. <laughs> Even though, I, <laughs> the Werder Bremen travel mug and stuff. Yeah, it's all good. Somewhere I've got a uh, FC Calm buggy cover. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think I do actually have um, I don't even know the word for it, a papal hat. Like, what, what's the type of hat a Pope wears? A big pointy one with FC Köln written on yes, it. Yes, I remember that. I do remember and that. And some gold tassels coming off the yes. top. Yes. You were very proud of those tassels. I was. You'd be surprised how little I wear that. So if Thomas Tuchel had turned up in a papal Chelsea hat, I might, <laughs> I might have forgiven him. Rather than his sort of, yeah, knock-off well, Tony Poots know. look. It's a very Catholic town, Cologne, is all I'll say. Probably more Catholic than London. Okay. Well, I don't know, Tuchel's not from Cologne, is he? No, but my paper hat. (laughs) (laughs) But Brendan was there, decked out in it, suited and booted, as you would expect, as were the Leicester boys. The thing I remember from watching cup finals as a kid is they used to do a little five-minute segment. It used to be usually the captain of the team would talk through the squad and give you sort of little insights as to... You know, what each player's like. And you probably don't need that anymore because everybody's lives are out there on, on Twitter and Instagram. So one of, one of the things they were talking about was Jamie, Jamie Vardy, you know, Leicester striker, who came up through the non-league ranks to make it in the Premier League. It's, it's sort of the story that every amateur footballer would look at and dream of emulating. And he became the first person to play in every single round of the FA Cup all 13 rounds from the first round of qualifying all the way through to the final on Saturday, which I thought was a, you know, that is, fantastic. That is a good achievement. And then there was other things like Wes Morgan, who was the captain of Leicester when they won the league a few years back. And he's barely featured this year due to injury, but he was included in the squad. So that's that's the kind of thing that you love to see on a, the sentimentality of final day. I was less delighted when he nearly scored an own goal. <laughs> like, brought on as a sub, fairy tale story, etc., etc. Bang it in for the equaliser in your wrong, in your own net. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, no. Let's get to the game itself. The first half was it was a decent game. It was fairly cagey, I would say. were not an awful lot of chances, but it was it was a game that you could tell that both sides. It really mattered to both sides. I would say. I think that can often be the problem with an FA Cup final, in certainly in the recent memory, is that actually they do box around it, especially especially since there has been a, a recent trend for one of the big four, five, six clubs versus probably a lesser club in that sense. And there being, therefore, a very defensive mindset, obviously, for one team and, and it being a kind of a rather staged affair in that sense. Whereas, actually, I think both of these teams approached it as equals. And yeah. I think that meant they had tactical freedom to play it as they wanted to. I think that's fair. I think it was perhaps cagey's the wrong word. I think both managers had obviously set their tactics out and I think maybe they cancelled each other out a little bit in the first half. But Leicester came out in the second half and I think maybe Rodgers had made a couple of tactical adjustments at half time that had just caught Chelsea out a little bit because Leicester certainly had the better of it in the early stages of the second half and took the lead through an absolute belter from Yuri Tielemans. So I think 
could have a really big impact on the Euros this summer. I was genuinely out of my seat. Yeah. So, funnily enough, of of the of the game, that's the bit I've seen. <laughs> you know, could watch that goal over and over again, to be honest. So Chelsea were a little bit disappointed because there was in the build up, Ozzy Perez intercepts the ball and it hits his is it head onto his arm or is it knee onto his arm? Either way, it's 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 one of those ones where I don't even know the rule anymore. But I've been reliably told that's not handball because it flicks off an, uh, another part of the body before it hits it. Yeah, if that surely if that had been disallowed, it would be the one of the greatest disallowed goals <laughs> ever. Well, that comes later. Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> you haven't got a I lot know. of weight. Yeah, but as in, in terms of a goal that would have been a great goal that never was. It's one of those goals that I I think in 2055 on Cup final day they'll be showing that goal. It will be one of those yeah. one for the ages. It'll be like the Ronnie Rad- Radford goal that they always roll out yeah. the third round weekend. Yeah, it's just well, montage goals. In terms of he, FA Cup final goals, do you think it was better than the Di Matteo goal? For- that, well, that was the one that sort of sprung to mind. It's like, is it, it sort of, it's of that level, isn't it? I think the Di Matteo one gets discounted because it was scored in the first minute. And it's sort of, it's like great goals don't count if they're scored in the first minute. <laughs> that was a very good one. I was thinking more sort of the, the Steven Gerrard goal to equalise yeah. against West Ham, considering sort of the, the moment in the game in which they came. But actually, the Gerrard one, was it was a great hit, but it sort of sort of skims along the ground, right, nestles in the corner. The Tielemans one just flies into the yeah. top left. I saw somebody said that Kepper, Kepper went with the wrong hand. It's like, well, he could have had five hands and he doesn't get anywhere near that. <laughs> could have had yeah. Edvard Mendy alongside him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. After that, obviously, Chelsea go in hunt of an equaliser. Leicester are more or less keeping them at bay. Rodgers makes a tactical switch in bringing Morgan on for the last 10 minutes. You know, all hands on deck. What um, could go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? <laughs> Is it unfair to say he probably didn't look match fit? Is that too much? Do you think I'm being cruel there? He looked like he'd been away from the game for a little bit. He looked, yeah, he looked definitely rusty. I think maybe the logic was there was going to be an aerial bombardment. He's good yeah. in the air. Let's get let's get somebody else in with a good head up back there. Okay, that's interesting because I suspected. I thought they were just going to say, "Hey, long time club club servant, yeah, you want you to get a medal." Yeah, but they brought him on with about 15 minutes to go. Yeah. So I can understand that if you bring him on sort of with two minutes to go, just as a passenger. But I think I think he genuinely thought that because it was about the same time that Chelsea brought Giroud on. So maybe he thought he was he was sort of counter Giroud's aerial yeah. threat with additional. In that case, yeah, that. you're just going man, almost going man for man with Giroud. That's right. And Leicester had lost Jim, Johnny Evans in the first half mm. to injury, so maybe he thought a bit bit more experience back there. But you're right; it did look like it might have all gone wrong when sort of a diagonal ball picked Chilwell out, who'd, uh, well, ex-Leicester man, of course, which is another mm. FA Cup narrative, who skims it across the box. And then I think the ball is, is it an own goal in the end or is it, is it going to turn to? I can't quite remember who. Oh, I had it down it. as an own goal. I think it was, I think the narrative was, now says it was going to be an own goal. It was going to be an own goal. Uh, and of course the, the, the Chelsea end goes absolutely nuts. But then our good friend, <laughs> video assistant referee comes in and, I wrote a piece four or five months ago where I was trying to defend VAR. I, I, if you were a Chelsea fan, you would be disappointed. But it's the right decision, right? Yeah, he was offside. I mean, that's yeah. the thing about the VAR offside decision. Offside is black and white. Yeah, it's, you know, they, there can be problems about drawing the, you know, drawing the line. But generally, I think 
offside is offside. I think it's handballs have been more problematic with VAR, but I don't, I don't think there's, I don't think people get such up in arms about offsides. No, and there have been some very tight ones, and people talked about armpits and all the rest. But as far as offsides go, you looked at this, and 99 out of 100 people would would say, yeah, offside, right decision was made. So you have this enormous swing in the stadium in 60 seconds. Watching it live, you might not necessarily have thought this is an obvious offside candidate because it was such a quick move. So, you know, the Chelsea fans were reacting, I guess because it's a known goal. They thought, oh, there's no way this is going to be chalked off. It gets chalked off. Uh, There's tears in the Chelsea end, but then the Leicester end obviously goes absolutely nuts uh, having seen that. And it's this kind of enormous swing. And of course, there's fans back in the stadium for the first time in forever. So we're hearing this all through our TVs, not the canned crowd noise that we've had to put up with for 14 months, but, but the emotion of it all. Because funnily enough, the, the other bit of footage of this match that I've seen is the, is the Chelsea end reaction video where they, they're going absolutely nuts when they're back in it. They've just equalised. And then up comes the dreaded three letters. Yeah. <laughs> and just the look on everybody's face is priceless, let's say. But yeah, must be a sigma. But as a neutral, do you think VAR added to the drama in that moment, Gibbs? I remain a supporter of VAR. Uh, I think it worked as it should on this occasion because, you know, I don't think there's a problem with offside as a decision there. So yeah, no, I'm, I'm cool with it. And I do. I do quite like those reaction videos, for instance. There was uh, there was a schadenfreude there for me, seeing the Chelsea fans absolutely, uh, you know, flip in, in 30 seconds. Yeah, the fan in the ground, though, it is quite strange now, celebrating a goal, but with one eye over your shoulder, just yeah. looking at the big screen. And obviously, if, you know, if you score... And it's reviewed and it stands. You sort of get the chance to celebrate twice. But, you know, that first, I think everyone's now wising up to the fact that first celebration is a little bit sort of, this could be a goal, but we're not going <laughs> to, we're yeah. not going to go all in on this because, you know, there's yeah. the start so, of a process, people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, one of the great, you know, the great things is the designed goal celebration from a player we haven't seen anyone yet take advantage of that with the designed var applicable goal <laughs> celebration where they sort of do like statues or something and then come to life once var has announced <laughs> yeah, that... or how after the after the final whistle they normally assemble the podium before they award the cup you know teams could be using that 60 seconds to be doing something really creative to set the scene for the <laughs> the, the celebration when it's about to come and then or just quietly pack it away if it's offside yeah they'd be they'd look a little bit foolish if they actually assembled some celebratory podium <laughs> on the pitch <laughs> and then had to pack it away when it gets chalked off someone pressing t-shirts on the side of the big <laughs> <Yeah>. machine <laughs> there's that story of all of the uh, kansas city chiefs uh, super bowl winners 55 t-shirts that are being sent out with USA to a lot of countries around the world now (laughs) 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 to believe that the Kansas City Chiefs won the last Super Bowl there was that guy guy who played for Fulham for a while I forget his name but he used to keep a mask in his sock didn't he and he had a little prop when he scored he would put the mask on so maybe they maybe there could be some more prop work yeah but I missed an important bit of the game out and to understand this bit of the game you have to know that there was once a goalkeeper called Peter Schmeichel who was a brilliant goalkeeper and not content with dominating one generation 
he decided to uh, to sire a son and name him Casper. And Casper Schmeichel, I would say, is a very good goalkeeper. I wouldn't say he's a great... I don't think he's as good as his dad, but a very good goalkeeper. And if you're going to pick one day to have almost the performance of your life, you might as well do it in the cup final. Because in the last 10 minutes, at first it's from a... I think it's from a Giroud header that's just about to creep into the post. Just gets the tiniest fingertip on it. A little bit like the... Um, the bank save against Pele. I mean, not quite as good as that, but really good save. And then a couple of minutes later, uh, Mason Mount brings one down beautifully and hits it really well. I mean, he could put it a little bit more on the corner, but he really gets hold of it. And Schmeichel flies across to his left. It's a big hand on it. I mean, absolutely incredible save. I don't know what that And it's would be almost honest. it's almost behind him. And it's, yeah. and it's really fizzing. Mount has hit that really cleanly. So to to get a hand on it when he doesn't seem to have that much time to react and see it, but then to get a strong hand to actually get it around the post, incredible save, yeah, absolutely worldy. I want to know what that chance would be on the XG to judge how how good a save it was. <laughs> I, I was interested this week to um, also see on on Casper Schweiker. They were great saves, but also some of the noises coming out of the Leicester setup was about just exactly what he does for that team in terms of his culture and how he's a leader in there and how he's turning up for practice every day. He's he's one of those players that I think would be under-recognised. I, I didn't know that about him uh, until I saw it, saw it this week. But, you know, he thought he just rocked up on game day. Got his gloves. <laughs> yeah. Have you remembered your boots again, Casper? No. <laughs> well, we've all been to enough games where there hasn't been any keeper rocking up. So... <laughs> Even if I was a professional footballer at a Premier League club, I'd be delighted if any keeper turned up because it means I don't have to go in goal. Yeah. <laughs> but no, there's, in all the great teams, and you know, Leicester are a great team, certainly in the Leicester story, um, you need someone like that. And I, I was really interested to see that about him. Yeah, I read that too. I thought yeah. it was really interesting. He, he, The way he sets the standards, expects high standards from those around him, but holds himself to those same high standards and I think that's what you want and that's what you gravitate to in a leader if somebody's just merely shouting at everybody else then nobody has any time for that but when you see somebody who's absolutely giving their all and demands it of their teammate then I think you're that's when you uh, you get the best out of people yeah and I mean um, Henry Winter the Times journalist he written on this in the past I know the players like Eric Cantona uh, Michael Jordan, on, uh, you know, in basketball, they are that sort of person. You can put them in a dressing room, and the effect of having that kind of personality is transformative in itself. In that the best demand better in such a way as to make a team well above, you know, the, the sum of its parts. And I think to some extent, City lost a lot of that last season when Company left. And I think Company brought that to to that squad. Despite sort of the, the level of you know, talent in the room, I think it still takes somebody to instill what the culture of the club is. You, you do need that leadership. Talent's not enough. Well, yeah, and I think however talented individuals are, you've, you've still got to work hard to win football matches. You, know, you can't just you can't just rock up and you know and do pretty things on the ball. Yeah. You know, you've still you've you know you've got to you've got to work hard, and that that comes from a culture within the team. And yeah, you've got to have you know leaders that are going to demonstrate what that looks like, you know, both both on game day and then you know when you're just slugging away on the training ground, I guess. So the question is, is Harry Kane that man at Tottenham? <laughs> well, and if so then what? Well, this is this is it. I think you know, Luis is the club captain, but Kane is is the talisman, right? And I think that if if Kane 
you know, if Kane goes, and I think, you know, this, as we talked at the start of this, the assumption is he is, then you kind of wonder which other players will also either question whether they're in the right place or more worryingly think, ah, things might be a bit easier for us. We can just sit and coast around because the high standards that were expected of us that were sort of being set by by Kane is that benchmark's no longer there. So I can think of a few players that might um, might then just you know, see this as a chance to just um, just coast around for a little bit. You know, won't be held to account. So yeah, be interesting. So enough of a Spurs diversion. Back to Leicester <laughs> Chelsea. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. You poked Spurs me down that rabbit hole. Spurs try to automatically qualify for the uh, chat about winning the FA Cup section. Um, <laughs> Must wait another 40 years. <laughs> I mean, that's the last moment of drama, the, the disallowed goal. Leicester, hold on uh, for the last few minutes. And, and it's, what's the word, scenes at the final whistle, I guess. You could see how much it meant to them. And I don't mean that in a way that it doesn't mean a lot to, to other clubs, but it really meant something to that playing squad. It did. The chairman, you know, some great scenes, you say. But, you know, <laughs> some um, some touching footage is the other way of putting it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, with him coming and getting the trophy. It was, it was good. And and I think if you're a neutral and you weren't supporting Leicester there, then you weren't neutral. Indeed. <laughs> Do you know what people have sort of said about, um, oh, it's, you know, it's such a big deal for this club. But I always think, you know, however many times a club has won a title before, it's it's generally not been, you know, or trophy has been won. It's generally not that group of players. It's quite rare for you know, one team. City is probably a you know, recent example where one team has gone and won a particular trophy on, you know, back to back, won it multiple times, you know, essentially with the same group of players. But most of the time when a team wins it, it's a new group of players. And so for that squad, it's, they're still winning it. For that player, they're still winning the FA Cup for the first time. You could, you know, be playing for a club that's won it however many times you like, but that wasn't yeah. you winning it. It's still that's, important for you. That's true. There's, and there's usually a few new players in the group each time. There is a turnover in football clubs. Yeah. Plus, the other thing to say is that even if you win a trophy back to back, it's still the culmination of a year's work to get to that yeah. point. So it's still going to be a pretty special moment to... Uh... I've never heard anyone go, I'm tired of winning. No. <laughs> oh, oh this, ma- this medal's a real millstone around my neck. Can't see it. It's not something they talk about in Bavaria, is it? They chat to many <laughs> Bayern fans. <laughs> I'm well, so tired. You... I'm so tired of winning. <laughs> having been to the Cristiano Ronaldo Museum in Funchal, Madeira... You might wonder whether he's tired of winning because he'll have to have an extension for more uh, for more silverware if he gets it. Not if he stays at Juve, he won't. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be watching the culmination of the French League this weekend where Lille are a point ahead of Paris Saint-Germain and can hold on for what would be a memorable win. Yes. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. Yes, we could. All right, too yeah. busy. We're, we're on search. We're on no, search. Ten to We thought it was already finished. I think it's going to clash <laughs> with the Aussie rules football. <clears throat> what? Playing at eight o'clock on a Sunday morning? I've clearly got a busy schedule. Is there a new time difference that we don't know about? <laughs> well, whatever old rubbish we end up watching this weekend, we'll be back this time next week to chat about it. Tom, Ollie, thanks very much. You're welcome. <laughs>